We are determined to make the ordinary Ugandan master of his own destiny, and above all, to see that he enjoys the wealth of his country. Our deliberate policy is to transfer the economic control of Uganda into the hands of Ugandans for the first time in our country's history. This was Idi Amin, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So before joining the British King's African Rifles, little is known about Amin. He's thought to have been born between 1923 and 1928 in Kambuko or Kampala. He was abandoned at a young age by his father and having him grown up with his mother's family in a rural far farming town. He joined an Islamic school in Bambo in 1941. He left school early and did odd jobs before being recruited to the army by a British Colonel Army officer. Amin joined the KAR, the British King's African Rifles, in 1946 as an assistant cook and getting military training until 1947. He was moved to Kenya for infantry service as a private in 1947 and served in the 21st KAR Infantry Battalion until 1949. In 1949 he was deployed to fight Somalia rebels in the Shifta War. In 1952 his brigade was deployed against the Mau Mau rebels in Kenya. That year he was made corporal, then in 1953 he was made sergeant. In 1959 Amin was made warrant officer, the highest rank for a black African in the Cornelian British military. He went back to Uganda and received a short service commission as a lieutenant in July 1961. This had him one of the first of two Ugandans to become, to become commissioned officer. In 1962, after Uganda's independence from the UK, Amin was promoted to captain. Then in 63, he was major. In 1964, he was appointed to deputy commander and a year later, he was commander of the army. Five years on, in 1970, he was promoted again to commander of all the armed forces. Before that, in 1965, Prime Minister Obote and Amin were said to be in a deal to smuggle ivory and gold into Uganda from Congo. General Olenga later claimed the deal was part of an arrangement to help the troops against the Kagalagi's government trade of ivory and gold for arms supplies secretly smuggled by Amin to them. Then in 1966, the Ugandan parliament demanded an investigation. Obate ordered a new constitution abolishing the ceremonial presidency held by Kabaka Mutesa II and declared himself executive president. He would promote Amin to colonel. Amin would go and lead on an attack on Kambaka's palace and forced him into exile to the UK. Mutesa remained in the UK until he died in 1969. Amin and Obate started to disagree a lot, made far worse by the support Amin built within the Ugandan army by recruiting from the West Nile region, his involvement in operations supporting the rebellion in South Sudan 
and an attempt on Obata's life in 1969. In the autumn of 1970, Obata took control of the armed forces and knocked Amin down to commander of the Ugandan army, rather than of all armed forces. Obata seeked revenge and Amin heard plans of his arrest, so Amin seized power January 1971 in a military coup while Obata was in Singapore attending a Commonwealth summit meeting. Troops who were in support of Amin sealed off the airport and took Kapala. Soldiers swarmed Obata's home and blocked the main roads. Across the airway on Radio Uganda, Obate was, acu- was accused of corruption. Crowds flooded the streets after the broadcast. Amin presented himself as a soldier, declaring the military government would be a caretaker only until new elections, which, which would happen when things settled down. Amin promised to release all political prisoners. April 1971, Amin held a state funeral for Matessa, who died in exile. February 2, 1971, a week after the coup, Amin declared he was now President of Uganda and Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces and Uganda Army Chief of Staff and Chief of Air Staff. He would suspend certain provisions of the Constitution and soon instituted an advisory defence council made up of military officers and, of course, the chairman was Amun. He had military tribunals above the civil law systems. Soldiers were appointed to top government posts and told the cabinet ministers they would be subjected to military courtesy. Amun ruled by decree allowing him to make or change laws with no approval needed usually allowing rapid response to a crisis, can often be abused by the leader in charge to weaken democratic institutions, and sometimes it results in a dictatorship. Amin changed the name of the presidential lodge to the commander post. He dismantled the intelligence agency General Service Unit, replacing it with the State Research Bureau, or SRB. The SRB HQ would be a place of torture and capital punishment. Military police and public safety unit would also persecute dissenters. Abate would hide out in Tanzania, being offered sanctuary by the Tanzanian president, Nayari. Soon, 20,000 Uganda refugees joined Abate. They were fleeing Amun's reign. In 72, in a poorly organised coup, the exiles tried to get Uganda back, but this failed. Amin will retaliate against this coup, purging the Uganda army of Abate supporters. Early 72, 5,000 soldiers were massacred or disappeared, and at least twice as many civilians had the same fate. Victims soon included religious leaders, artists, judges, lawyers, students, criminal suspects, journalists and foreign nationals. Bodies were often dumped in the Nile. These killings motivated by ethnic, political and financial factors continued throughout Amin's eight-year reign. The exact number killed is unknown. It's believed to be no fewer than 80,000 and more likely 300,000. Amnesty International, along with exile organisations, puts the number at 500,000 killed. 
Amun would recruit followers from his own ethnic group, the Kawas, as well as the South Sudanese. Come 1977, these groups formed 60% of the 22 top generals and 75% of the cabinet. The Uganda army went from 10,000 to 25,000 by 1978. August 1972, Amman declared an economic war of sorts. A set of policies including the expropriation of properties owned by Asians and Europeans. Many of the 80,000 Asian Ugandans owned businesses, some large enterprises that made up the backbone of the economy. August 4, 1972, Amman ordered the expulsion of 50,000 Asians who had British passports. This would later be altered to all 60,000 Asians who were not Ugandan citizens. About 30,000 Ugandan Asians emigrated to the UK. Others went to the US, Australia, South Africa, Canada, India, Sweden, Pakistan and Fiji. Amman expropriated businesses and properties owned by Asians and Europeans, giving them to his supporters. But they had no idea how to run or maintain the businesses. So soon they collapsed, and this would be disastrous to the already failing economy. At first, Amman had support from Israel, West Germany, and in particular Great Britain. In the 60s, Obata's move to the left included his common man's charter and nationalised 80 British companies. This concerned the West, having them see it as a possible threat to Western capital interest in Africa, and also appeared Uganda may be an ally to the Soviet Union. Amin served with the King's African Rifles and took part in the British suppression of the Mau Mau uprising before Uganda's independence. To the British, he was known to be intensely loyal. It's believed Amin was being groomed for a power as early as 1966. Plotting by the British and Western power began in 1969, after Obate started his nationalisation programme. In the first year of presidency, Amman would get military and money from the UK and Israel. July 1971, he visited both countries asking for more military help and equipment. Both said no, unless Uganda paid for it. So in 1972, Amman looked for foreign support elsewhere. He decided to visit Libya. For Libya's support, Amman had to denounce Zionism which he did, and Libya pledged $25 million loan to Uganda, and this would lead to more lending from Libya. Within months, Amin removed Israeli military advisors from his government. He got rid of other Israeli technicians and eventually broke diplomatic relations. After the expulsion of Uganda, Asia in 1972, India severed ties with Uganda. Also in 1972, with his economic war, Amin broke ties with the UK and nationalised all British-owned businesses. The UK and Israel would stop all trade with Uganda. A commercial space was now free, and soon it was taken by Libya, US and Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had huge strategic interests in Uganda, 
November 1973, it dispatched a military mission to Uganda. The Soviet Union couldn't give Uganda the money the West was, but could give military hardware as support. After time, the Soviet Union became Amin's largest arms player, sending jets, artillery, missiles and small arms. Amin also gave to the Soviet Union. Thousands of Ugandans were sent to Eastern Bloc countries. East Germany was involved in the General Service Unit and State Research Bureau, two agencies that were the most notorious for terror. In the Uganda invasion of Tanzania in 1979, East Germany tried to remove evidence of its involvement with these agencies. June 1976, Amman would let an Air France flight, which was hijacked from Tel Aviv by two members of Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine External Operation, or PFLP-EO and two members of German revolutionaries selling to land at Entebbe airport. Three more hijackers joined them here. After this, 156 non-Jewish hostages without Israeli passports were let go and taken to safety. But, 19, but 83 of them were Jews and Israeli citizens and 20 others who decided not to leave like the captain and crew, all remained captive. What happened next was called Operation Thunderbolt. The night of July 3rd into July 4th, 1976, a group of Israeli commandos flew to take over control. They freed most of the hostages. Three hostages died, 10 were wounded. Seven hijackers also died, along with 45 Uganda soldiers and the commander of the Israeli unit. A hostage, Dora Block, 75, was taken to hospital and she was a Jewish English woman who was murdered in retaliation. The incident didn't go down well with Uganda's international relations. This had the UK close its high commission in Uganda. Revenge for Kenya's help in the raid would happen. In this, Amin would order the killing of hundreds of Kenyans in Uganda. Amin embarked on a large military build-up in Uganda, which had Kenya really worried. In June 1975, Kenyan officials impounded a large convoy of Soviet-made arms heading to Uganda. February 1976, tensions between Uganda and Kenya hit boiling point when Amin announced an investigation into the possibility that parts of Sudan and Kenya were historically parts of the colonial Uganda. The Kenyan government gave a stern statement stating they wouldn't part with territory, not even an inch. Amin would eventually back down after the Kenyan army deployed troops along the border. Amin's relationships with, R- with Rwanda were also not great. He would over and over jeopardize his, its economy, denying its commercial vehicle transit to Mombasa and made many threats to bomb Kigali. January 1977, General Mustafa Adrisi was appointed Vice President of Uganda by Amin. 
During the year, the Ugandan army started to divide into those loyal to Amin and those supporting Idrisi. Many coups were attempted. Amin would end up wounded in Operation Matfuta Mingi in June 1977. By 1978, Amin's supporters were shrinking. People in Uganda were turning on him. The economy and its infrastructure was crumbling from years of neglect and abuse. When Bishop Luwum and ministers Oyama and Ofumbi were killed in 1977, many of Amin's ministers defected or fled into exile. 1978, Idrisi was badly injured in a car crash. He was flown to Cairo for treatment. Here, Amin stripped him of his position and denounced him for retiring senior prison officials without running it past him. Amin then purged many high-ranking officials from his government and took personal control of ministerial portfolios. This angered Idrisi's followers, who already believed the car crash was a failed attempt on his life. November 1978, troops in support of Idrisi mutinied. Amin would send troops in retaliation, and some fled across the Tanzanian border. Fighting would break out on the Uganda-Tanzanian area. Ugandan army launched an invasion. Experts and politicians would say Amin directly ordered the invasion to try distract from the crisis at home. But some suggest he lost control on some of the Ugandan army. Apparently the troops just invaded without Amin's orders and Amin okayed after the fact to keep up the power appearance. Either way, Amin accused the Tanzanian president of starting the war against Uganda. The Ugandan invasion was shown success, but as Tasmania started a counter-offensive, Amin realised he was in hot water, so he tried to defuse the situation without losing face. Amin publicly called for him and the Tasmanian president to do a boxing match. Instead of military action, he who wins, wins all. Obviously, the call was ignored. January 1979, the president mobilized the Tanzania People's Defense Force and counterattacked. Soon, groups of Ugandan exiles joined, who united as the Ugandan National Liberation Army, or UNLA. Amin's army would retreat despite help from Libya and the Palestine Liberation Organization. Trips abroad would happen during the war to try to get more foreign support. The final months of his rule, Amin made few appearances publicly, but spoke often on radio and TV. After a defeat in the Battle of Lukaya, some of the Ugandan army began urging Amin to step down. He would refuse and fired Chief of Staff Gowan. April 11, 1979, Amin was forced to flee by helicopter after Kapalo was captured. He tried to rally what he could of an army, declaring Jinja the new capital. But when this didn't work out, he fled to exile. 
First he went to Libya, staying there until 1980. He would then settle in Saudi Arabia. Here the Saudi royal family gave him sanctuary and paid him a lot if he stayed out, out and away from politics. In interviews while in exile, Amin said Ugandans needed him and he never showed remorse for the brutality he inflicted during his regime. In 1989, Amin left exile and flew to Sari with one of his sons. His plan was to mobilize a rebel force to get Uganda back, which was in another, another civil war at the time. But Amin was recognized at the airport and immediately arrested by the Sararian security. The government of Sarar tried to expel Amin, but Saudi Arabia weren't thrilled to take him back. In fact, they refused as if they were a bit offended. He abused their hospitality, leaving without permission. Sari government didn't want to keep him, but they also didn't want to send him to Uganda, where murder charges awaited him. So he was sent to Senegal for them to send him to Saudi Arabia. But Senegal kicked him back to Sari when Saudi Arabia refused his visa. Their Moroccan king Hassan II would appeal on Amman's behalf, eventually breaking Saudi Arabia, and so he was allowed back. As an agreement, Amman had to never ever again be in any political or military activity or give any interviews. He remained in Saudi Arabia peacefully and quietly until July 19, 2003, Amin's fourth wife, Nalongo, said Amin was in a coma and near death from kidney failure. She called out for the Ugandan president to let Amin back to Uganda to die. The president said, sure, if he answers for all he did. Amin's family decided against this, and a couple of weeks on, they decided to stop life support. Amin died August 16, 2003. After his death, British politician David Owen revealed while in the British Foreign Secretary, he proposed assassinating Amin. He in the British Foreign Secretary proposed assassinating the President of Uganda. He said he wasn't ashamed of such an idea, considering Amin's reign goes down the Pol Pot scale as one of the worst of all African regimes. And that is the tale of Idi Amin. Like and subscribe to my YouTube and podcasts and join me next time for the story of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. A country-wide revolution against the government of the Hungarian People's Republic and the Hungarian domestic policies imposed by the USSR. Until then, this was the good, the bad, and the pure evil.